Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is the message given on Sunday morning, February 4th, 2024 by Janet Sims from Isaiah 42 and 51. If you would like to follow along today, we'll be in Isaiah chapters 51 and 42. But first, let's pray. Lord, thank you for bringing us together today. I just love to see all these faces. Open our hearts and make them eager to learn more about you. Give me the words to say to clearly share what you've put on my heart. Amen. Amen. All right, now. We're all having a nice morning, and I don't want to be a downer. But can we talk about the fact that things in our world aren't going well? I try to look on the sunny side of life, but I can't ignore the fact that people on the whole have it rough. My two daughters, Gwen and Emma, are five and nine years old, so they ask a lot of questions about life. There are so many whys. And I find myself landing time and again on, well, it's because we live in a fallen world. That's why ice cream melts. And life isn't fair, and people are unkind, and disasters happen. But the truth is, things were never supposed to be this way. God's intention was that creation and man and God would be united in perfect love but that all fell to pieces in the garden by the tree. And now, as Paul describes it in Romans chapter eight, the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we have hope of a better world. But what do we do in the meantime while we wait for his return and the redemption of all things? It's hard to be patient when we see the pain that we all do see. Some people don't have enough food to eat or clean water to drink. Some people live in war zones and they can't be sure that they'll be safe from the next bombing. Some people move under the shadow of abuse or trauma. And those of us who have physical safety still struggle with mental and emotional loads that are often too hard to bear. And even when things seem to be going all right, we can't enjoy it because we're just waiting for that next bad thing to happen. Living in a fallen world is tough. And as followers of Christ, we're not comfortable sitting idly by as the people around us suffer, are we? We have to do something. But are you ever overwhelmed by the need that you're surrounded by? What could we possibly do to fix it? Where could I even begin? When I was in high school, this question weighed heavily on me. 
I don't know why, but at a young age, the burden of the pain of our fallen world hit me hard. So I came up with a solution. To fix the hurting of the broken masses, I would go to work at McDonald's. <laughs> it would be a sacrifice, but I was willing. In all seriousness, my logic was that the people who work at McDonald's have it really hard. Everybody is angry and hungry when they interact with them. And on top of that, they're pushed to move faster than humanly possible. So I would go and make their load lighter. <laughs> In fact, I would shine my little light and brighten their day while I worked alongside them. And do you know, that did not happen at all. <laughs> it turns out I'm really inefficient at working the McDonald's cash register. And it doesn't matter how much you smile at a person when they're in the lunch rush and you're messing them up by pushing all the wrong buttons, you're not gonna cheer them up. After two weeks of this, I put in my two weeks notice. <laughs> Because I realized being awesome was not the way I was gonna change the world. Humbled, I returned to the question, what could I possibly do to fix this place? Where could I even begin? Luckily, the prophet Isaiah has a word for anyone wondering these things. In Isaiah chapter 51, verses one through three, he says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Which is to say, his advice for anyone who wants to seek the Lord and make a difference in this world is that we look back at Abraham and Sarah. It's a funny thing how the Bible is constantly telling us to look back and remember old events. Things like Passover and even communion are all about looking back and remembering. In this day and age, we're always looking to the future for hope. But maybe we have that backwards. What if looking back at all the ways that God has been faithful and worked in the past is how we have hope for the future? Let's give it a try. Start by following Isaiah's advice. We all remember Abraham, right? He was old, like really, really old and childless when God promised him a son and that his descendants would be as many as the stars in the sky. And then Abraham's wife, Sarah, laughed at God, and they schemed to make it happen on their own, which didn't work. But in the end, God did just as he had promised, and he made an entire nation out of Abraham's son and his descendants. You may be surprised to hear it, but I have a story like this in my life. It's not about descendants, but about faces. You see, I've never been diagnosed, but you guys, I swear I have mild prosopagnosia. You may not have heard of it before, but prosopagnosia is face blindness. I cannot recognize anyone for the life of me. 
<laughs> so years ago, when I started volunteering at the Anderson County Jail, I immediately realized this was going to be a problem. You see, every woman I met in there was wearing the same navy blue outfit. <laughs> Some of them had ponytails, but that changed all the time. Therefore, the only way to know who was who was by faces. And I was in for it, because you know what's bad for jail ministry or really any ministry at all? Not recognizing who you're talking to. It's really hard to communicate love to a person when you can't even remember their face. And there I was, up against those impossible odds. But I had a prayer I liked to pray all the time back then. It was, use me as you will. I read it in a book about Elizabeth Elliot, who heard it from Betty Stam. Betty was a missionary in the China Inland Mission, and she was executed for her faith. At just 18 years old, she prayed, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes, all my own desires and hopes, and accept thy will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all, utterly to thee, to be thine forever. Fill me and seal me with thy Holy Spirit. Use me as thou wilt. Send me where thou wilt and work out thy whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. These words meant so much to me when I read them that I started ending my prayers with, use me as you will, as I still do often today. It became such a part of me that I couldn't remember where it came from till Tom re recently reminded me. So, as I served at the jail, I prayed. Use me as you will. And he did. He did a lot of great ministry through little old face blind me. It was a miracle. <laughs> it made no sense at all. I was the complete wrong person for the job. But I'm grateful for it. It was an amazing time in my life. And I know that it brought some light to this dark world. So, looking back at my story, and at Abraham's, where's the hope for someone who wants to make a difference? I'd say first of all, it's knowing that when you come up on trials in serving God, that's really a sign that things are going right. In Abraham's case, nature had to give up vitality and hope for this to be a divine work. No one could claim that this old man and his old wife, who had always struggled with infertility, just up and had a baby without divine intervention. It was clearly God's doing. And the same goes for me. When I entered the jail every Thursday morning, wondering who was who, and yet somehow still built deep relationships, nobody could deny that it was through God. And the work that you'll do will be just the same. Because it won't be you doing it. It'll be God. The problem I had at McDonald's was that I thought I could make a difference through my own strengths. But God uses the weak to shame the strong. His grace is sufficient for us, and his power is made perfect in weakness. Don't worry about what you're good at. And don't be discouraged when you feel like you're not enough. Because when things turn upside down and seem impossible, 
that's the moment we can all see that God is working. There are some of you here today who feel like they barely have it in them. This life has beaten you down. Things have gone wrong time and again. And sure, you want to serve God and build up his kingdom, but how can you right now? In this case, I'd say it's time to take the advice of our own dear, Kathy Jenkins. If you don't know her, she's the Bible study teacher for all us ladies here at Triple C. And she's always encouraging us on Wednesday mornings to ask what scripture says about who God is and let that inform us about who we are in relation to him. I'm really enjoying Isaiah today, so let's go back there. In chapter 42, verses 1 through 4, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In this passage, Jesus is the chosen one who doesn't break bruised reeds or snuff out smoldering wicks. Who does that mean we are? The reed and the wick. Sometimes that's all we've got to offer. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The good news is he can use that. He used the boy with the little sack lunch to feed thousands of people. Whatever you have, give it to him. In fact, whatever you need, give that away. Proverbs 11.25 says that whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Do you feel lonely and wish someone would invite you out to coffee? Then invite someone else out to coffee. Odds are they're lonely too. By giving your little offering to Jesus, you'll be multiplying it like the loaves and the fishes. And he promises you'll find refreshment along the way. A great example of this is Andrew, Jesus' disciple. He'd originally been following John the Baptist, and when John tipped him off that Jesus was the one they'd been waiting for, the Messiah, the Christ, the first thing Andrew did was run to Jesus. And when Jesus noticed Andrew following, he turned and he asked, what do you want? So Andrew asked, where are you staying? It was a simple question, but I believe behind it lay the deepest yearning of Andrew's heart. It was his timid way of asking, can I hang out with you? Does my savior want to hang out with me? And the answer? come and see, and an invitation to spend the rest of the day together. He did want to hang out, and he still does. Our Savior wants to spend time with us. And he didn't scold Andrew for being shy either, because a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Do you know what the second thing was that Andrew did when he came to know the Messiah? He went and found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. Then Jesus gave Simon the new name of Peter, the rock, and began the process of changing Peter's life and the entire landscape of the early church through him. 
we can learn a lot from Andrew. Let us first go to Jesus and ask him, do I matter to you? And once that's established, let's grab a friend and bring him to Jesus. And guys, that doesn't have to be a big production involving a great witness and moving testimonies. Whenever I read Jenny Allen's book, I Am With You, to Gwen, one line stands out to me. The best way for others to know my love is to see your love. We bring others to God by loving them. What does loving look like for you? Is it an unexpected kind note or text? Is it a warm meal on a hard day? Is it a listening ear when no one else seems to care? Use your imagination. Be creative. You were literally made for this. And Jesus, God's chosen one, who doesn't snuff out smoldering wicks, will use even the smallest gesture to build up his kingdom. Isaiah 42 is actually quoted in the New Testament to show how Jesus fulfills prophecy. In Matthew 12, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, even though the teachers of the law think he shouldn't. Here's what it says happens next. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus, which I think is dramatic. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus is mending this world, one person at a time. And when someone tries to pick a fight with him about it, he doesn't engage. He doesn't quarrel or cry out. But let me ask, are you ever tempted to argue over the things of God? Aren't we obligated to defend our faith? Jesus didn't feel that obligation. It turns out God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth, doesn't need my defense. And the way to truly serve and obey him is to love one person at a time, just like Jesus did. Are there places in your life, maybe online or at family gatherings, where it's time to stop quarreling and start serving? According to Jesus, that's how you're truly going to change the world. Going back to Isaiah 42. You may have noticed that it also said that in faithfulness, Jesus will bring about justice. Through our own faithfulness, we can join him in that. Show up, however small that feels, and say to him, use me as you will. Think about Tom Job that day several years ago when he invited a lonely high school boy named Lee to eat Tina's homemade sandwiches on a park bench with him. It was a small offering to God, just a lunch. But as Tom faithfully showed up, God used him to raise up Lee in the faith until one day 
Lee took a lonely high school boy named Thomas out to lunch. And as Lee faithfully showed up, he used him to bring up Thomas in the faith. Now, anyone in this room who has been ministered to by Lee or Thomas, raise your hand and give me a hearty amen. Amen. <laughs> amen indeed. Look at the multiplying of loaves and fishes that the Lord can accomplish if a smoldering wick simply shows up. It's miraculous. Let your wick join this movement. You don't have to know what you're doing, and you certainly won't be able to guess what the end result will be. Just show up, and Isaiah promises that Jesus will not falter or be discouraged until he changes the whole world in this way. You may only feel like a smoldering wick, but the truth is that the roaring fire of the Almighty is waiting to pour through you. The question is not what you can or cannot do. It's what you're willing for God to do. When God makes use of one person, he becomes the father of a vast multitude, as Abraham of Israel, like Andrew, Peter, Tom, Lee, and Thomas, the only condition is the presence of God in us, with us, through us. Open your whole being to God because he's about to comfort this dark world and you're going to want to get in on that. As Isaiah says, he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found there. Thanksgiving and the sound of song. Just imagine. <clears throat> Much of what I've told you today about these verses in Isaiah, I learned from F.B. Mayer in his book, Christ in Isaiah. It's about time I gave him credit. I would hate to steal from an old dead guy. <laughs> and now I want to share with you one last bit of his wisdom. He says of God, he works through individuals. The story of man is for the most part told in the biographies of men. It's through human instruments that God executes his beneficent purposes, his righteous judgments. By Wilberforce, he strikes the fetters from the slave. Men do not know the purpose of God and what they're doing. They know not that they are really instruments in the divine hand. But guys, we know, don't we? God himself told us that we were created for good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. Let's get to it. This is our one chance to befriend the lonely, lift up the downtrodden, and free the enslaved. Because when Christ returns and makes all things right again, there will be no one to comfort. Because there will be no more trouble, no more fallen world. So now is our time. Let's join him in this great work. Will you pray with me? Lord, use us as you will. Amen. Well, everywhere you turn, it seems there's a face turned down with the tears in their eyes. Is it a nightmare that the world streams and the pace of the crowd doesn't slow as it goes by? And what can I really just these two hands at my side Is it that simple? Can I make a ripple In this overwhelming time?
Take our feet.